All right, day two of health week, and we're still looking into the keto diet, but this time from the angle specifically of weight loss. This comes from Dr. Chris Palmer on the Huberman Lab. I have a question about, or more of a statement slash question about the ketogenic diet. Based on everything that we've talked about, seems to me that the ketogenic diet for weight loss is a very interesting aspect of the diet, as is intermittent fasting for weight loss even though it might just be by way of caloric restriction that occurs with fasting. But then in some ways, the, the effects of the ketogenic diet on weight loss are a bit of a decoy for most people. That's where their mind goes. This person lost X amount of weight. Maybe that made them feel better. Maybe that actually made them underweight. I think you've talked about it. For some people, it can actually bring them underweight. But I'm glad that we got the chance to dive into the description of ketogenic diet for epilepsy because it really is a medical intervention that has a side effect of weight loss or could be used to treat obesity and induce weight loss. But it's really about far more than that. And that raises a question for me, which is, you know, we've been talking about the ketogenic diet as one thing, but I've heard you uh, discuss this before where you know, just as a physician will prescribe different dose, dosage ranges of a given drug, you can prescribe different dosage ranges of a nutritional plan, a diet. It's not one thing. It's not necessarily zero carbohydrates or 100 grams or 50 grams. It depends on the patient and a lot of other factors. I've heard you list off various things, classic keto. Maybe you could just briefly tell us what that typically is, because I think most people think eat, it means eating a lot of meat and not carbohydrates but might not be that. Fasting, and then some of the other, uh, you mentioned Atkins earlier. We don't have to go into each of these in detail. And I know in your book, you talk about not just the science and clinical background, but also some actionable steps that people could consider so they can refer there uh, for more detail. But for somebody who, let's say, is depressed, they, they've had some rounds of depression, maybe they're on antidepressants, maybe not, and they want to try something like this. Obviously, this has to be done in concert with a physician observing all this, but what is the typical thing that you probe with first? Just like with a drug, you might probe with 20 milligrams of a drug. What's your typical pro initial dietary intervention probe? Terrible languaging, I realize, and I'm, 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 I'm criticizing myself for that, but I think people get the idea. The, the real answer is that I, I don't have a one-size-fits-all recommendation for any person. So the first thing that I'm going to assess with the patient is what symptoms are they having? What is their current diet like? And what are they willing to do? I, I try to meet them where they're at. So um, uh, if somebody, you know, and I want to point out, like you mentioned the all meat version of this diet, which is often referred to as the carnivore diet. A and, very controversial uh, diet. There is no doubt that exists. And for some people, some people swear by it. They swear that they've tried other versions of ketogenic diets and only when they went to a carnivore diet did they get benefits. But there are vegetarian and vegan versions of the ketogenic diet. So in my mind, this is not at all about the diet wars of animal-sourced versus plant-sourced foods. It's about inducing a state of ketosis, which is mimicking the fasting state. That is what it's about. And you can do that by not eating anything, by fasting and or intermittent fasting, and you get your results. So no diet is, keto, is a ketogenic diet. So it's not about the foods or the types of foods that you're eating. It's about inducing a state of ketosis. The first variable I'm going to look at when I recommend this or prescribe this is the person's current weight. 
if if somebody's obese or versus somebody who's thin, I'm going to use different dietary strategies for those two situations. In the obese patient, they have tons of fat stores on their body already. Usually it is a goal of theirs to tap into some of those and they'd like to lose some weight if they're going to try a ketogenic diet for brain health anyway. And so I'm going to use that. So that person, really, the diet is carbohydrate restriction. And that usually is a sufficient intervention. Both simple carbohydrates, meaning sugars, and fructose also? Fructose, definitely. So no added sugars, essentially. Um, You can have added natural sweeteners like stevia or monk fruit. You might use artificial sweeteners. I'd probably, years after do, of doing this, I'd probably recommend steer away from them if you can because I think they tend to stimulate cravings for high-carb foods. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you can kind of get through a couple of weeks without um, sweet things, your cravings for those will go down and it'll make the diet easier and a little more sustainable. But let's say you can have your artificial sweeteners if that's what you really want. Um, so I'm going to say less than 20 grams of carbs a day for those people. They can have all the protein they want. They can have vegetables and they can have all the fat they want, but I'm not going to push fat on those people. I'm not going to tell them eat a lot of fat at the same time because I want to use the fat on their body as the fat source, at least early on. Are you encouraging healthy fats like monounsaturated fats like olive oil or are you um, encouraging people to... Um, eat a little less butter, uh, et cetera. I I I tend to I tend to encourage again a wide range of fats, and it's going to depend on the person. A lot of times, people come to me with very specific ideas, but I'm going to tend to encourage olive oil, avocados, nuts, which are usually considered even by the American Heart Association healthy sources of fat. The, the more controversial thing are things like coconut oil or coconut cream, which the American Heart Association might say is not a healthy fat. I kind of disagree with that and don't think it's unhealthy at all, actually. And when you look at the epidemiological studies of saturated fat causing heart disease or causing adverse outcomes, at best, maybe increases your risk 10 to 15% at best. How much coconut oil can people ingest anyway? <clears throat> before they um, either develop diarrhea, no joke, yeah. or or just sort of get tired of coconut oil. But anyway, um, uh, your point is taken. Uh, but they can eat meat if they like meat, or they Absolutely. could eat eggs, or if they don't like meat and eggs, they could eat sardines or things of that sort. I mean, I personally can't, st- yeah, I can't even stomach the, I don't even like the word sardine. I have nothing against the actual fish, but um, that's just me. But obviously people have, I, I say this because people have different preferences, right? Yes, I'll eat a steak, but I'm not going to eat a sardine. And I'm going to go with that. And again, there are vegan sources of protein that people can eat tempeh and, you know, other things. So um, that's the obese person. It's carb restriction is the primary initial phase. The thin person is going to need to eat a lot of fat because they don't have a lot of fat stores on their body. And if I want them in ketosis, clinical ketosis, I'm going to have to feed them fat. So that's the person that I'm going to say, make sure you get in avocados, olive oil, butter, maybe a cream, heavy cream. So heavy cream is delicious. It's a delicious way to get your fats in. And uh, 
have one patient who just drinks it straight to just try to get it in. Other Look, people, I get it. I like, I've never had an appetite <laughs> for sweets. I, um, I absolutely love savory fatty food. And yeah. I, when I was in high school, I was, I was thin, so I was able to do this, but I, I used to drink half and half. Um, sometimes I wake up in the middle of the night and drink it just because it tastes so, so good. It does taste <laughs> good. So, so if they're on a ketogenic diet, I'm going to push them away from half and half and toward heavy whipping cream. And, uh, and so you can whip that up. You can freeze it. It turns into ice cream. You can add vanilla. You can add cocoa powder. You can add all sorts of things. And you, you're off to the races with shakes and ice cream and mousse and all sorts of things that you can have. Um, with any of these patients, the beauty of this diet is I have objective biomarkers. I'm going to have them measuring ketones and I'm going to adjust the diet based on their state of ketosis and or the clinical benefits that I'm looking for. If it's an average person who is not currently under psychiatric care, not taking prescription medicines, but is saying, I'm burned out, I'm exhausted, I want some of that brain energy that Andrew Huberman's talking about. I, I, he, he talks about feeling good. I want some of that. I'm probably actually going to recommend the protocol you described, which is let's see if we can just carb restrict for a while um, and see if that produces clinical benefit. I have one, he's not even a patient, just a, somebody who read my book. I didn't tell him anything. And he came away from it saying he was ready to start an antidepressant or an antidepressant for his anxiety. He had chronic anxiety, was trying meditation, was trying all sorts of things. Nothing, nothing, those things weren't enough. He was ready to go on prescription medicine. He read an early copy of the book. He took it upon himself without consulting with me to restrict carbohydrates alone. He did not go ketogenic. He is a vegetarian. He restricted carbs within three weeks said, I don't need prescription medicine. I can't believe how much better I feel. And all I did was cut out some of the high carb foods in my diet. So I think for some people, it can be that simple. For people with serious mental disorders, if they are chronically depressed, if they're on lots of prescription meds, if they're disabled by their symptoms, and certainly if you're bipolar or have schizophrenia or something. Those are the people I really do want them to work with a medical professional because meds may need to be adjusted. They really need a, they need a real shot at this diet. It's, it's not like weight loss. Weight loss, everybody wings it. And either you're successful or you aren't. You, you look on the internet or you read a book or you do, you know, even the colleague that you mentioned, he's probably just reading who knows whether it's credible information or not, um, and just winging it and seeing whether it works or not. For people with serious mental disorders, I want you to treat it like you have epilepsy because you do have a serious brain disorder. Like it's impairing your ability to function in the world. It's impairing your health and happiness. You deserve a competent medical treatment. And we have that. We have a hundred year evidence base. We've got dietitians who know this like the back of their hand. They can monitor your level of ketosis. They can help, they can help look for vitamin and nutrient deficiencies that can 
be a consequence of the diet and make sure that you're not developing those. They can help tweak the diet if needed. They can give you ideas if you're getting bored with eggs every morning. They can give you ideas for what else you might have. And, you know, if you're using it to treat a serious disorder, I think you need serious help. A couple of um, questions, a little more detailed, but um, I think a lot of people will have this on their mind. Is it ever the case that uh, you'll prescribe somebody the ketogenic diet in conjunction with intermittent fasting? So eat keto, but eat between the hours of whatever, 11 a.m. and 8 p.m. or something like that. That's the first question. Absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, and I have one patient with type 2 diabetes and chronic depression, and he will try to follow the ketogenic diet, and sometimes his blood sugars are still very high. And sometimes I will ask him to do either intermittent fasting or even a three or four day water fast. And it is shocking when he does a three or four day water fast, you know, the first day or two feels like crap. I'll just say up front, don't do it if you've got an important meeting or business trip or anything like don't be. So this is just consuming water. This is just consuming water. No black coffee. Um, I usually tell him he can have plain black coffee or tea. Um, but uh, You have mercy after he, all. I, I, I have a tiny ounce of mercy. But, um, but when he does it, his blood sugars plummet in a good way. Like his blood sugars are normalizing. But the last time he did it, he actually got to seven days at one point. And he said, I feel great. I want to keep going. I can't believe that I'm not hungry, but I am not hungry at all. I don't miss food at all. And at seven days, I kind of cut the cord. I was like, no, no, we're he done. To eat. <laughs> we're well, done. You got to eat. Well, I find it really interesting that the intermittent fasting, of course, controversial um, at some level, but um, as to whether or not it's just beneficial by way of caloric restriction, because it is one way to achieve caloric restriction, whether or not it has additional benefits. But um, I'm very interested in the neural side of it. And it does seem that the fasted state can start to take on its own rewarding properties where people get dopamine release, not from eating as most everyone does, but from abstaining from food. Now this can be pathologic and in the sort of example of anorexia nervosa, which is, we both know is the most deadly psychiatric illness. Um, but for non-anorexics, I, th I think it's interesting to note that eventually not eating can have its own rewarding properties to it that aren't just related to weight loss, but in the short term feeling, in other words, feeling really good by way of abstaining from eating. Yes. Yeah. Well, and that's actually, it, it raises an important risk that I haven't mentioned yet, but at least in psychiatric patients, but even in some patients who just use the keto diet for weight loss, I have seen definite hypomania. Hmm. So low, so these are people that aren't sleeping very much. They're, um, are they also getting kind of delusional thinking? They're going to run for president? No. Um, so so the, the distinction between hypomania and mania, so mania, you might become psychotic and delusional. Mania, by definition, is problematic. It's causing a problem in some way or another. And if, you're, if you have psychotic symptoms, it's definitely called mania, full-blown mania. Hypomania, for better or worse, is something every human being probably craves. So it is it is feeling extraordinarily good. It's getting by on less sleep, but you don't need to sleep. Who needs sleep? I've got things to do. I am 
my brain is running on all cylinders. I feel so creative. There have been lots of famous people through the ages who have been bipolar, you know, probably bipolar, and some of their most productive periods of time, whether it's art or creating scientific models or what have you, were probably during hypomanic episodes. So what do you do in that case? I mean, I, I'm obsessed with getting sufficient quality sleep. It's a kind of a repeating theme in our podcast and on many of my social media posts. And um, I always recommend behavioral tools first, then uh, you know, exercise, viewing sunlight, et cetera, the appropriate times, avoiding late night artificial light exposure, et cetera. Um, and occasionally, uh, for people who are doing all that and still struggle with sleep supplementation, um, one of the things that I've seen some data on is that for people who are following a low carbohydrate diet, that inositol in particular can be helpful for getting into sleep, probably because it's a bit of an, has a bit of an anti-anxiety effect. But presumably there are other things out there too. The magnesiums will generally do that. A hot bath will do that too, for that matter. But what you're talking about is people who are going, what, a day and a half without sleep or they're just, you know, two hours of sleep a night? I have. So the worst case I saw was actually a mental health professional who didn't recognize it initially. He went six months with two to four hours of sleep every night. Because they were on a ketogenic diet. He was on a ketogenic diet, wow. was getting by on two to four hours of sleep every night did not initially recognize that this was a problem. He was feeling great. He was feeling that keto high. And he was actually waking up and like at 4 a.m. going for 10 to 20 mile runs most days. He finally stopped the ketogenic diet after about six months because he said, I can't maintain my weight. So what I'm are you losing doing too much weight. Sorry, I didn't mean to drop. So what do you, uh, I was just thinking there's some social media personalities that, uh, associated with nutrition that might be hypomanic. Um, I'll let you do the clinical um, <laughs> uh, evaluation. Um, so what does somebody do in that case? So I, I don't know that I've ever been hypomanic, but as I mentioned earlier, unless I've done a very high intensity workout early in the day and I need to replenish carbohydrates, I typically eat um, meat, fruit, and vegetables throughout the day minimum amounts of fruit, but some. And then at night I switch over to mainly carbohydrate. It really helps me sleep. It replenishes glycogen stores. I sleep really well, wake up the next morning, repeat. Um, and of course this goes against a lot of the dogma that, oh, you're not supposed to eat carbohydrates late in the day. And this is what works for me. Um, and so, and so I do it for somebody like this, um, mental health professional who was hypomanic would going off the ketogenic diet entirely be the best idea? Or could it be that um, adjusting when they eat their carbohydrates would be advantageous in order to make sure that they felt alert and great during the day, maybe not hypomanic, but then, uh, you know, we're could have a four to eight hour night sleep as opposed to a two to four hours night, which is really very little sleep. It's, yeah. It's it can't, not, be, it can't be healthy. It's not healthy. Yeah. Even and if you can do it and feel great, I imagine that the brain is suffering. It is. Yeah. And, and the body is suffering. I and mean, your the, friends and family are suffering. The, the body is repairing itself with sleep. And so, it, yeah, it's uh, um, the, you know, if it's somebody who is a, not a patient, they're not a mental health patient, they're not using the ketogenic diet as a mental health treatment, they're simply doing it for whatever. Um, I actually start with everything you've just outlined. Let's start with behavioral measures first. 
And the first intervention is education. You need at least six hours of sleep a night, period, end of story. That's non-negotiable. If you're not getting at least six hours of sleep a night, we need to consider this a problem. So figure out a way to get six hours of sleep. For some people, that's enough. Just the education. They, they don't get out of bed at 3 a.m. It might take them an hour to fall back to sleep. They fall back to sleep. For most people, if you can get three nights of decent sleep in a row, the hypomania goes away. It, 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 that is the way to extinguish it. And, and then they still go on feeling a high from it. They feel great. They, they, their brain feels good um, in terms of memory, concentration, motivation, all of those things. But they're not hypomanic anymore. Um, and then I might use supplements, melatonin, others, others that you mentioned. Magnesium is a big one. And for, for some, I will recommend exactly what you're doing. Eat some carbohydrates in the evening before you're going to bed. Um, either have them at dinner and then wait a few hours before you're going to go to bed or have them right before you're going to go to bed just to try to calm your body down and, uh, get it going for, when I'm using this as a clinical intervention, especially with patients with serious mental illness, um, I actually want them in a state of ketosis long term. So I'm not going to do the carbohydrate intervention. I'm going to try all the other ones. But if they still can't sleep, even with supplements, over-the-counter supplements, then I'm probably going to go with prescription sleeping medicines as a temporary stopgap to try to get them three to seven days of decent sleep that usually breaks the hypomanic cycle. And then they stay on the ketogenic diet because it ends up resulting in all of these other improvements that I've described. They, you know, they can, their illness can sometimes go into full remission. Um, so is it low-dose trazodone as a first-line first, first line prescription? I would not use trazodone. I would actually specifically avoid trazodone because it's an antidepressant and they're already hypomanic, and I certainly don't want to push that further. So as long as it's somebody without a history of addiction, I'm going to use a benzodiazepine um, or either you know commonly called the Z medicines for sleep. Um, Zolpidem or Ambien or something like that. Those tap into the opioid pathway. GABA, GABA, opioid. GABA, GABA. So I'm, I'm probably, I usually start with something like Ativan or Clonopin or something like that. Uh, probably Ativan because it's shorter acting. Um, and again, I'm only looking to use it short term. I let them know that up front. We're looking for three to seven days of decent sleep. And then we're going to try to get them off that medicine. And usually people are off to the races and can sustain it well. I think before last year, I never really thought about the relationship between sleep and diet. And obviously, I do regard sleep as very important, but I just thought that you just need to sleep eight hours every day. But it, uh, the more I understand about the quality of sleep and how weight and diet affects it, the more I understand that they're all interlinked. The, the, comp the body's a complex system and uh, not being healthy in one side of your life actually negatively impacts the other side. I mean, it's obvious when I say it, but I wasn't really thinking about that before this year. 